0: E minus 10 9. You're
1: listening to the Launchpad Podcast 6, with J Man.
0: Brought to you by
1: Galant Media. Two one here's your host, Ignition man And thank you once again for being here for the Launchpad Podcast. You can check me out at the LaunchpadPodcast.com. That's where you can buy sweet merch like this shirt. Uh, also, you can catch all previous episodes and great clips of all the shows at youtube.com slash alive. I am very excited to have this conversation uh, with a lady that I've known for about a decade because obviously we're living in a COVID landscape and it's one thing for you and I to be handling this as adults, but what is it like for the kids? So she's a psychotherapist and owner of Embracing Empowerment Counseling Services, and she's going to help us navigate COVID and kids, how to parent during COVID, some of the warning signs that possibly your kids are facing in regards to isolation taking a toll, and staying one step ahead of isolation. That's hopefully what we're going to be able to accomplish right here, uh, Parul Shah. Thank you for being here on the Launchpad Podcast.
0: Thanks, Jay, for having me. I so appreciate it. And yes, we've known each other for quite some time now.
1: Yes. And right before we started recording, you said something really fantastic about network marketing, because a lot of people know that I was in network marketing. That is how we met through network marketing. And you said that the one thing that you learned from network marketing was the ability to sell yourself without selling yourself.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And what did you mean by that? You said something beautiful. It's poetic, and I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. What did it teach you?
0: It taught me to, so the way we sell ourselves is by owning our, our flaws and imperfections. And that's where the authenticity comes in.
1: That's so powerful. If everyone learned that through network marketing, wow. <laughs> that's too bad most people are gone in a week. That's oh, oh, well. Uh, and it's no surprise that that's what you were able to pull from it, doing what you do now. So what is it that led you into wanting to be a psychotherapist and work in the occupation that you do now?
0: Um, so I've been in the uh, mental health industry for about over 22 years, and I was in the child protection services, frontline social worker, where I helped and protect children who are at risk. And I knew that I wanted to do more. So I started going into my graduate uh, year, into my master's. And I knew that our community in Ottawa and around the area needed something that was more understanding our, our darkness and our imperfections and flaws, because I've also seen the darkness within my own family. So some, I always believed in lived experiences, and that has what you know, brought into understanding and creating a proper practice and embracing empowerment really means is that in the moment we embrace our flaws and our own darkness, we can actually be our empowered self-empowerment. So that's where right. it came from.
1: Right to stop looking at these things as weaknesses. Uh, I just spoke with Theo Flurry just the other day, and he's a very big advocate in regards to speaking out and bell, let's talk and all that kind of stuff. And by being silent, that's what's doing you the disservice. The real empowerment is being able to speak up and say, I need help, right?
0: Yes. And I think sometimes silence is the way, I think there's a lot of stigma. And I spoke about this quite a bit about in my office and on social media, there's a difference between stigmas and discrimination, right? So understanding that when we do Bell Let's Talk, we have to understand that, yes, talk's awesome. It opens the conversation. But we've been in Bell Let's Talk or anything, any platform in the last over 15 years that we've been dealing with mental health crisis across our country. is We have to understand that active implementation is what makes the change in general for mental health.
1: Okay. So let's get right to it and talk about COVID and kids. I'm having a difficult time dealing with COVID and I'm fully aware of everything that's going on. I don't know if that makes it better or worse. And then we have our kids or you have your kids. (laughs) I'm flying solo here, (laughs) right? So uh, some of the things that we're seeing manifest in children, right? how how do we deal with the isolation that we may be finding ourselves in and at the same time being able to provide that safe space for your child?
0: So I believe in open communication so if an adult if a parent is feeling withdrawn isolated frustrated fearful we have to share that piece without giving details of what is really bothering us because we don't want to place that on our kids but sharing that kind of commonality of this is this is real and it's okay to feel these emotions so I have two daughters 16 and a half and 13 and a half and we often talked about what that feels like because it, even though we're family, we may not always think the same and feel the same. So one child could be withdrawn, one can be completely you know, clingy and we wouldn't know what would be the difference. So understanding our own child first would be probably the foremost. Mm-hmm. And if it's out of the norm, completely out of the norm, how they're feeling, that connect with them and talk to them saying, you know, honey, like this is what we feel us as parents do you feel the same way or how do you feel and sharing that insight because it makes them feel safe.
1: Right. Is there one question that you've gotten from one of your children that kind of freaked you out in regards to what's happening with COVID? Because I know this about kids is that often there's this dialogue that's going on with themselves, right? And then they say something, you're like, I didn't even know that they thought like that. I didn't even know they were even capable of of those types of thoughts. Did you have one of those moments? Uh, Or is there something that a child might say that might be one of those moments where they're really asking for help, they're they're suffering, and it, it may not come across like that in the statement itself.
0: So um, my youngest one who's 13 and a half, she has special needs. So she, cognitively, she's about 10. So she was in, in the beginning of COVID. Uh, she actually, after the first part of the year 2020, um, she ended up going into school. And I think she lasted about a week. And what that looked like was she was withdrawn. She was showing signs of not, you know, like frowning. Uh, tense so her body was tense and she hardly was eating so I asked her I said you know what is going on are you okay and she's like mom I can't do this I can't wear the mask I, I really there's too many rules and for someone who's a parent to special needs kids they maintain and they need to maintain rules and schedules and routines with with anything that's uh, add on it puts a wrench into how they deal with it it's too overwhelming so she couldn't understand why she just couldn't breathe over through this and it was too much for her so we went into online learning and she has thrived for a while but you know as you and I have been through the zoom fatigue is that kids are seeing that now we're seeing that in the kids with online learning. We're seeing that impact of I'm tired, I can't do this, Uh, sleep, insomnia. We're having insomnia now in kids more than we've ever seen before. And now as parents, we get worried, like, you know, my kid is not sleeping, I try everything. And then naturally we as parents would feel frustrated because we're trying to do everything possible for our kids to manage and keep them safe without them self-harming, you know, going down to the depression uh, site, which is a huge thing right now in teens and preteens. So it's actually allowing themselves to feel okay to say, mom, I don't want to disappoint you. Dad, I don't want to disappoint you, but this is not working for me. And can we put our, uh, you know, our expectations aside as parents and say, yes, I get it. I get it.
1: Right, to allow them to have that voice.
0: Yes, absolutely. Which is difficult,
1: right, because it's usually the parent, which is the authority figure, and they're always dictating opposed to having that open line of communication. So if they are feeling restricted, that they will tell you. And we spoke about this the other day in regards to the routines and now kind of these double standards that have now, popped up because of COVID and you were discussing about screen time where usually parents say well you know you can have one hour of screen time today and now they're spending almost every waking hour (laughs) on a screen so obviously like the one thing that we can do is encourage our kids to still go outside and play uh, right but how do we combat that dealing with those routines that have been so abruptly disturbed and now kind of flipped upside down.
0: So, we got to remember that Mental Health has been here within our lives around the world in Canada in Ontario in Ottawa for decades. Many kids and teens have had already pre-existing mental health issues. So those those kids wouldn't be even able pre-COVID to go outside. So we always have this analogy, like mental health fit is a one-size-fits-all. It does not. Mm-hmm. It does not. So, it, like for us, I always believe in sharing our story, and I always do that in my office. My kids are introverts. They do not go outside pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So, in order for them to get the exercise, we implemented exercises in our house where they would enjoy. But what happens is the add-on of COVID is like, okay, now the isolation is there. Now we're becoming into an odd normal routine. Now people are becoming like, okay, uh, and and kids are like this, you know, they like the routine, but they like a toy. And the next thing you know, they're bored with that toy and they turn to another toy. Now imagine being in a household 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And a parent's changing the routine every second. I think it's allowing ourselves as human beings to just sit the way we are and saying to ourselves, okay, I'm not okay, mom. I'm not okay, dad. Um, I may need help, but I don't know. I'm scared. Like, I don't want to worry you. And kids really feel like if they share their feelings to their parents, knowing the fact that they see their parents so stressed out due to COVID, it is, you know, they don't want to add that problem. So if we start that conversation with our kids, I think it's so important.
1: Right. So then are you saying as a parent, it's okay to tell your child that you're stressed out too? Like I'm at uh, my max, right? And this uh, is why. Okay. Yeah. And maybe trying to find uh, a level ground, like some new Field where, hey, I feel this way, you feel this way, let's get through this together kind of deal.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Right, so I mean, there's always a flip side. I'm always talking about the silver lining and as difficult as this can be for some people, this is also a beautiful opportunity to revitalize or strengthen a relationship that you have with your child through trust and communication.
0: Absolutely, and I think, I think you know, As you said, there is a silver lining. We really had time pre-COVID of sitting there with our kids, of understanding our kids, having that opportunity to speak to our kids, what pains us, what hurts us, what worries us, if we didn't have COVID. And I think we were living in a world where we're like rushing. We need to get to the next best thing. We need to maintain this, this lifestyle without realizing that we actually had everything in front of us. And that is the health and well-being of our loved ones. And even though we cannot physically see our loved ones, we are able to say, okay, as a parent, our kid is okay. Yes, they are failing and slunking school, but I'd rather take care of their own mental health because in the end, if they don't have their mental health, we lost them already.
1: Right. So. That kind of ties into a question that I got from a gentleman named Mark. And he asked about the impact on young children and the lack of potentially seeing smiles because of masks. And you just touched on, you know, the physical aspect of being able to hug loved ones, see grandma and grandpa, not being able to do that. And then strangers, I mean, everyone's kind of treating one another like they're wearing a bomb vest. It mm-hmm. has to be confusing for a child, especially you know, kids that when you think of that term is just randomly walking up to some dude and tugging his jacket or saying hi, and now that's a bad thing.
0: So the mask itself, so in mental health, we always talked about wearing a mask pre-COVID and wearing a mask was hiding our really emotions. So we teach our kids about mental wellness in schools, in our homes, uh, among friends and peers, and then we wear a mask. Now we're not, it's not a freedom of, of wearing a mask. We have to actually wear a mask to survive. So when we place a mask on a kid and we don't know how they feel, we can ask them to describe what they feel. So you could say to them, Um, you know, how do you feel? Are you sad? Are you mad? Are you glad? Are you frustrated? Are you, you know, all those emotions, we're using the words. And they say, some kids say, well, I don't understand what that meaning is. But then we could show a diagram, you know, like our emojis that we have, you could show, well, what are you right now? What does that feel like? And then they start describing it. And you will, be quite in, you will be quite intrigued. Little kids are very insightful of their own emotions, but they're too afraid because they don't wanna hurt someone. And I think that's the basic part of, of kids. They just don't wanna hurt anyone.
1: Right, and that has to be a really isolating feeling for a child right now though. I mean, even with communication, I can only imagine what it's like for them to navigate, which is why obviously I guess it's so important that you do have this dialogue. Uh, with your children. I'll get to this other one as well uh, from Claudia. It's similar but different. Uh, she has an introverted uh, an introverted teenager and wants to socialize him. you know so what tools can we give introverted children in regards to, not having them feel so alone or slipping into that isolation. You could speak on this very well, saying, you know, with your two daughters. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. I feel for Claudia. Okay. <laughs> um, my two girls are introverted by nature. Okay. And so when COVID hit, it almost really isolated even them more. And my husband and I are quite active indoors and outdoors. And we tried to our best to try to implement a walk. You know, we even got, a stationary bike for Christmas to bring and implement change around that but what happens is we have to realize that even though our kids are introvert and then we try to make them socialize in a different manner within our family members or they want to see their friends we gotta also remember they their friends have families too who have different rules and regulations in their home so I know for a fact that my daughter's friends, their families, some of them weren't wanting their kids to see my daughter through physical distancing, even wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that everybody's not the same. Mm -hmm. Everybody's rules are not the same. So getting your kid who's an introvert, who's a teen, they're not going to, all they want to do is socialize what they have in front of them, which is their screen. That's how they connect. They, they go connect with Snapchat, they connect with, you know, anything around the social media part, and that's their way of socializing. I think what's happened too, is I've noticed, is they're actually now, my kids are now vocalizing the loss of friendships, the feel of, you know, how do I connect with them? I just want to see them. I want to hear them laugh. I want to see them laugh without the mask. And I think we can't, we feel helpless. We really, really, truly feel helpless. But the the most important important thing is, we have to still continue to engage, even when our introvert team is not saying one single word, right? So I would get, I would often get, fine, I'm okay, stop bothering me, don't come into my room, right? Like I would get those kind of yeah. comments. So I would just check in. I would do what, yeah, I have to be in the teen mind. Okay, well, they're on their screen. They're on their phone. Their phone is their lifeline. Mm -hmm. So I will text them. I'm like, are you okay? Would you like Mm -hmm. to come out with me? Mm -hmm. Would you like to come groceries with me? And if they say, well, no, but then they'll be like, it's good to have fresh air. It's okay to have fresh air. But a lot of teens also manifest into their fear of covid scared and that is what's really happening now with lots of teens
1: right this is so heartbreaking (laughs) god i don't know why there seems to be this disconnect as i'm feeling this way as an adult and not expecting my child to feel the same way right we're all human like we have the basic human emotions and so if we're feeling it. It's not to say that they're necessarily feeling it the same way, but they're capable of feeling it the same way. And that's kind of the realization that I'm coming to now. And it's just uh, like, I don't know if you can see it, but like, I'm <laughs> I'm anxious now, just just yeah. thinking about it. It's kind of just been an epiphany for me. You've done a very good job of bringing that out and explaining it in a way that I think anyone can digest. So thank you for your, your wisdom on that. Uh,
0: Oh, you're so welcome.
1: (laughs) What are some of the warning signs? You know, you had mentioned posture and things of that nature. What are some of the things that, you know, to the average person wouldn't say anything? And these are warning signs that your kids are giving you in different ways.
0: So uh, sleep patterns. Sleeping more, sleeping less. And what I've seen in my office and in my home is the fact that they are not sleeping. Okay. Okay. Right. So my oldest has insomnia um, or what they call now co-somnia, right? COVID co-somnia. Um, Well, that's what the teens are calling it. So now I kind of say that. You're hip. You're hip. Yeah. And (laughs) it's like, what do we do when that feel that happens when you're they're sleeping at two, three, four a.m.? and then they're now virtual learning and now they lost time in school. What do we do as parents? Do we do the you know, hard hand saying get up or do we be too soft? And we have to actually place ourselves in, the, in, their, in their shoes saying they can't sleep, they can't. Pre-COVID, maybe pre-existing issues that needs to be more examined during that time, but I know from my daughter had issues, but there was not severe issues around insomnia. So that's one of the warning signs. The other warning sign is eating less or eating more. Okay. So what I'm also seeing in my, in my office is kids, preteens, teens, um, a high rise of eating disorders.
1: Mm. Wow. So uh,
0: bulimia, uh, anorexia, restrictions of food, because when you're isolated and you especially when you're an introvert you don't want to eat because you don't there's also the social aspect and social uh, social kind of pressure of being filtered right so that right. is a big thing for more women more girls but there are boys teens who are all often feeling the same way
1: so see now i would think being an extroverted person, and I don't know because a lot of people see me as being extroverted, but I'm really introverted. First, uh, I've been finding this very difficult because I just want to go to the coffee shop. That's all I need, just to be able to people, you know, see some people around. That's uh, that's all I need. Just knowing that I can. It's the fact that I can't, which is really difficult. And I think at first glance, when you think about who would this affect more, it would most definitely be the extrovert, but. Do we have to be looking out more for the introverts going through this thing?
0: Uh, I think both. I think it equals, I really think it equals. So I'm with you, Jay. I've always been an introvert by nature, but I am an extrovert. But I know a lot of extrovert uh, friends who are absolutely going bonkers. I'm not able to socialize. But I also seen in my own home who are introverts who feel that they are sitting with their own thoughts. So all they do is sit with their own thoughts that kind of overanalyze their thoughts that go into anxiety, that go into panic attack, that go into depression. So it's really, really equaling out of how we're all feeling.
1: Uh, One of the things that you mentioned to me the other day was also body language is a big thing. And you were even talking about how they might put their clothing on.
0: Yeah, so we know now initially it was a honeymoon stage and wearing casual clothing, loving PJs all day. So what can happen, and I've seen this in my home where PJs turn into a week of PJs, uh, you know, and turn like hygiene, hygiene, cutting your nails, like those little things. Um, If they usually stand up straight and then they start hunching, if they hunch always and they start putting a hoodie on, why are they putting a hoodie on inside the house when it's warm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I seen that with my youngest and we all questioned her, like, this is so weird. You never did that. Mm-hmm. So we knew that something was happening. So a conversation needs to happen. Even we always have to have the uncomfortable conversation to become comfortable around mental health.
1: Yes, that is the most powerful line right there. Yeah, it's the most worth it, uncomfortable conversation that you could potentially ever have with your child. Wow. Yeah. You're good. (laughs) Here's another one for you from Megan. She's talking about kids and having separation anxiety, like on the best of days when it comes to going to school. And now after a full year, kids are going to be socializing again, but they're going to be away from mom and dad and that nucleus that they've spent so much time around now. Uh, So how does a parent help a child adjust into that new lifestyle, that new circle?
0: I say start slow. So what I often did pre-COVID, when kids, teens had already separation anxiety, and they were going into a new environment or renewing to going back to an environment, mm-hmm. is starting slow. Have a road trip. Take, go into a car. Go around the school. Walk around the school. Stand in front of the school. Sit in the car and talk about what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And do that for a couple of days, for a week or two before school begins. And then speak about, okay, well, if you feel this way, what are the tools that you have in your toolbox? Mm-hmm. Well, mom, dad, I have this. I will call you. I have a sensory toy. I have my pen and paper that I create my emotions. I can talk to a teacher. Okay, if we give some tools, a proactive toolbox, I think you, you will be a little bit more at ease. Yes, kids will always have separation anxiety and anxiety in general. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to understand that there is good anxiety and then there's bad anxiety. Okay. So, for example, when we're, you know, teens are liking and having a crush on, on, a, on a boy or a girl, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have that anxious feeling and that butterfly feeling. Well, that's a good anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. But until you feel like, oh my God, I'm, I'm about to faint, I can't breathe, then we know that we are now concerned about how they're feeling. So we right. start to walk in the reintegration part.
1: Okay. Now I got this question and I'm going to try to answer it because I'm okay. not educated <laughs> in your field at all in any way, shape, or form. But you're here to correct me if I'm wrong. And it's Roberta, and she says, what's the impact? all the talk about disease, death, sickness, and this will have on our young school-aged children. I'm gonna say, number one, just do your best to keep that away from your child. Like they don't need to be watching the news. Uh, But then again, for other kids, you know, that always know a little bit more than your kid and talks about sex or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that one kid that always knows too much, that there's always going to be other children within that sphere that are maybe pouring into your child and also adding to their bubble of fear. So what's the best way to kind of just shield your child from those unnecessary things? Am I right?
0: Well, well, we can't shield them anymore.
1: Okay. Reality,
0: reality is they have ways, they are very smart and very resilient kids and teens they are very, also very resourceful. Okay. So they will get more information than we even do. So we would. I don't believe in you know watching news 24/7. I was watching that at the beginning of the pandemic, but then I was also feeling even a mental health professional was feeling a little bit unnerved by it. So uh, in my household, we have rules. We don't talk about politics or in our household. So having rules like that. But the thing is about death, and, like, my youngest one constantly, like, I don't want to hear. She voiced out, I don't want to hear about COVID because it makes me anxious about dying. I don't want you to die. I don't want me to die. I don't want my friends to die. And so we actually had a two-hour conversation, not only about other things, but we also talked about death. Wow. Because it's important. It's part of life. Uh-huh. It's part of life. It's part uh-huh. of the life cycle. But we don't know. And I think that's what they're worried about is because the unknown. Uh-huh. That's what they hold on to. If I don't know the unknown, then I can't navigate my life. So that's what that's the teen mind. That's the kid mind. So they need some answers. So if we hide them from it, we're actually really not doing them any service.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: We're actually doing a disservice to their mental health.
1: Right. Now, here's one more question uh, from a friend of mine, Stacy, and she has an 11-year-old that has apparently become incredibly withdrawn, not being able to see friends. I'm sure that's probably number one on most people's lists. Um, And she feels that she can't really appeal to her anymore, needs people, needs interaction, all that kind of stuff, but can't get her to do much of anything. I mean, at that point, is it just pretty obvious that maybe this would be a good time for intervention?
0: Absolutely. So as we were talking about um, kind of warning signs, warning signs would be withdrawn, body aches, body aches is big, Um, self-harming substance abuse of any kind. I I know a lot of teens are now vaping Um, and because uh, marijuana has become legal in our country, um, it has been a big thing in, in the household. And so when there is a severe isolation, then we as parents, we need to step up to the plate and say, okay, my kid is 16. I know they can't force them to do something, but I am worried about my kid. So I have to navigate this. And our kids are going, and teens are going to be pissed off at us. Like, why did you call? I'm fine. What do you think? but we have to do our due diligence of what that looks like for them. So we call, we connect with the mental health professional at that point. Absolutely. And medical field as well, the doctors as well. Okay.
1: And here's like one thing that's just baffled me throughout the whole thing. And I understand that we all come from different life experiences that bring us to this moment, right? And we're all going to feel a little bit differently about things because we've had so many different experiences. <laughs> but why is it that this seems to be affecting people so differently, how it manifests in so many different ways? Some person might be really struggling, may not show all those signs. And then there's some people that just, they weren't good going into this thing and they're just getting worse. Some people have the tools to handle it. Some people don't. Like, Is there kind of a lowest common denominator here like a baseline or a point of rent a point of reference that people can kind of go to to you know figure out where they are on this spectrum
0: so I often implement scales in families so zero being okay 10 meaning I need emergency help now so what we can do because as I said at the beginning of our your podcast is You know, everyone, even though you're a family member, everybody's very different in how they manage the mental health crisis and around isolation and COVID. So scaling zero to 10. So how are you feeling today? Well, dad, I'm a five. Okay, that's pretty good. (sighs) Five's a good. And if the daughter says, well, I'm a seven. Oh, okay. Do you want to chat about it? No, I don't want to chat about it. But at least the parent has an inkling, an idea where they're at. So we keep an eye. Right. We give them their space, but we keep an eye.
1: Okay. Right? And, w- and would you suggest maybe having, you know, a day of the week where maybe this is something that you, you make sure they have that conversation? Like Friday at the dinner table, we're always going to have just this little family checkup.
0: Yeah, I call it a mental health check-in, right? So we do check-ins, you know, see how you're doing. And it's tiresome for the kids, especially teens. Like, uh, I don't want any more family time. I don't want to play these little games. Like, I want on my own time. I've had that in my household. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's almost sometimes forceful. But you have to explain to them, I don't know how you feel. And I don't have the magic eight ball. I don't know what that looks like for you inside how you're feeling in order for me to help you and support you. You have to allow me to come in a little right. and that's how we speak about it.
1: You know, before we recorded this podcast, I was saying how I go about choosing my guests and sometimes I just get a real great energy and there's someone that I'm supposed to talk to. And you are most definitely the person that I was supposed to talk to. Um, your, your command of the language, your confidence, uh, you're very reality-based, the importance of communication, all of these things. And speaking from a place of experience yourself, dealing you know, with two children that have had their issues as well, do you have a past with mental health as well? Have you always been pretty good, or was that also something that made you want to explore your field?
0: Well, I don't think... I think if we say we were all good, I think we're actually denying ourselves of what we've gone through. We all have gone through hurdles. I've gone through racial discrimination, e- eating, you know, any form of eating dys- uh, dysphoria to trauma of any form. But I think what happens is, you know, the cliche, you, you fall, you get up in the, in the, every time. But I think what's happened is when I fell, one of the biggest things is we're always not alone, but we are alone. It takes us to see ourselves as saying, I want help. I need help. And I think that even saying that can be really, really, really hard for someone to do that, especially in the helping profession. So first responders, frontline doctors, nurses, lawyers, grocery store clerk, anywhere, Anyone who's in the front line right now in COVID is like, I don't want to be sick. I'm okay. But are we really okay? So allowing ourselves to say, this is who I am. I always say I'm beautifully broken mosaic. I come with with trauma. But there's a part of that trauma that shares lived experiences. And when we share lived experiences, we don't have to go into detail. But if we share lived experiences, we can tell someone else saying, hey, you're not alone and it gives them that insight and strength to say okay I need to make this
1: call. Wow, that called a parole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want them to do. Wow, this was just exceptional and thank you so much for carrying me through. Honestly, it was your your words that carried us through. Thank you to those that were transparent that sent me some messages to also ask her. uh, If people want to find you, where do they go? I'll make sure that I put the links there, but where can people find you?
0: Um, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, just a couple of plugins. I'm a first responder family member as well. And I also do clinical support for first family, first responder family resiliency, Ottawa group. We are the first and only family peer group in Canada, originally um, in 2016. So I really want to make sure that we keep in, informed with our first responders and first responders' families as well.
1: Well, thank you very much, Perul, for being on the show.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, No problem. And thank you to you, the viewer. Remember, you want the swag? It's on the website at launchpadpodcast.com, the shameless promo. <laughs> I got to sell myself without selling myself. I'm not doing that very well uh, right now, Perul. Also, youtube.com slash jman is alive and subscribe. You take care, be well, and love simply because you can.